Welcome to the System.ca, the art and science of coaching, providing innovative information on speed, power, recovery, wellness, strength, and conditioning for both athletes and active individuals. All right, uh, I want to welcome all our listeners to the first MatrixSpeedScience.com podcast. And uh, I'm here with uh, my cohort in crime here. The big man himself, Mark McCoy, the real McCoy. Uh, introduce yourself, Mark. Uh, I'm not that big, actually, but thanks for that. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm really looking forward to this series. Um, put a lot of work into it, and I think a lot of people are going to be shocked. So, All right. So, Mark, let's get down to brass tacks here. So the first question I'm going to have ask you is quite simply, do you want... You know, maybe ask the listeners, actually, because uh, you're here. We're both on the same page here. Do you want the red pill, which is speed, or do you want the blue pill, which is the current publicated uh, conditioning methodologies? You know, if you want the blue pill, well, you can go back to what you're doing and pretend that this whole podcast never existed. But if you want the red pill, keep listening. And as Yoda would say, you must learn, you must unlearn what you have learned and uh so the red pill is basically this matrix which can be summed up into a 360 degree four gear system of which we will tap into shortly so i'm gonna hand this off to mike uh, to mark rather but i'm gonna ask him one question here quite simply why is speed so important speed is life my friend <laughs> speed is everything uh, I might be, people might think I'm a little biased because I'm a sprinter, but um, from my experience over the last 40 years or so, everything that I've accomplished is through speed. And the reason that people come to me as a, as a trainer is to get people faster for their sport. Most sports require speed. Um, and people, I think, uh, as we'll get into later on in this podcast, go about it the wrong way because everybody's into this strength and conditioning which actually uh, takes away from your speed it doesn't add to it so we'll explain how how important speed is and uh, why the blue pill what you're doing now really doesn't work and you're not going to get the results you're looking for okay so yeah mark hit touch on some really pretty interesting salient points i would say uh, one is that speed is, uh, you know, he definitely is a sprinter um, and he knows speed. Uh, and I think from that reality alone, he can attest to the fact that a lot of his, quote, strength gains came from speed. Correct, Mark? Absolutely. And a lot of my speed losses came from too much strength gain. Interesting. Very interesting. We just very, again, this is like we're not really saying something controversial but we are but this has been around for a long time all we're doing is just kind of bring it out to the forefront so again we're still talking about this uh, red pill and i want to maybe go back a little bit and kind of give you an idea of why speed is so important and mark's gonna kind of chime in a little bit here so it takes about 12 or 13 stages of motor development just to go from an infant that's on its back to upright and standing and that could take about, you know, two, three years. And then from there, it could take about nine years or 10 years perfecting that gait. And so you can imagine a, a, a young child sort of just 
learning how to walk, kind of walking like Frankenstein, and then eventually going into, then you, by three years old, the kid, you can't even find the kid because the kid's just running around everywhere. Uh, but they're tripping and falling, but they're not able to get that full stride. You kind of have this choppy little stride. And then over time, you, you, you can see them when they start playing games and stuff like that. You can see them starting to open up a little bit more. They're starting to get more of that, what we'll talk about later on is this vertical component, and which translates into more of a horizontal component, so, which is basically what we call sprinting. And so, Mark, I want you to chime in this idea of primordial movement patterns. And what, what is that? Tell me. Well, it's just basically our, our innate ability to move properly, uh, to it's basic um I, what what you see is exactly what you said is as, as a child grows up you see them running around freely doing all types of things and then we start training them and it, that all stops they try to get tight they start to get injured uh we do you know squatting deadlifting all these things that are not normal um kids should be doing more play they should get out and do things that, like when I was young, I think that's one of the reasons I was so successful is I did multiple sports until I was about 16 years old. Um, I did a lot of playtime out. We, I think we've talked about this before in open fields, jumping off buildings yes. and, yeah. and rolling around and, and doing things that our bodies were designed to do. It's natural for us. It's, it's innate for us to do that. We're building strength in the right ways. And then we, we try to get too uh, compart compartmentalized into these conditioning programs, strength programs in particular. Not that there's anything wrong with them if you use them at the right time, but uh, we do too much of that and we forget about the more important things, which are the primordial uh, movements. Yeah, and Mark Mark uh, alluded to a few of those. I'm just going to add a few more here. Obviously squatting, because I mean, technically before the upright toilet was invented, you know, you had to do, you had to squat. <laughs> Uh, deadlifting or bending because you have to pick up stuff off the ground and throwing because you have to throw us. You know, this is at the primordial or basically what we call you know uh, hunter gatherer sort of uh, thing. You have to throw a spear, throw a rock, right? You have to catch things at certain times. Hope you're not catching a spear. <laughs> uh, and yet sometimes you have to drag because you have to drag once you've killed an animal. You have to drag it. Uh, sometimes you're pulling because uh, you're trying to pull something or whatever or push. Uh, and pushing could be horizontal or it could be vertical. Right and pulling could be also vertical or horizontal, and then sometimes you had you had jumping. You had to jump over rocks or you know a log or something, uh, and then there's twisting. Uh, so you're trying to twist something, maybe you know t turning like throwing a rock sideways, almost like a medicine ball. And then finally we have running. But sprinting is the epitome of that whole cascade of primordial movements, and and the reason why is because, according to Dr. Carla Hunneford, she and her, according to her research, it's, again, like running, but more so at a high speed, uh, it's the one that kind of gets your right and left brain hemispheres sort of working together. And so, Mark, can you tell me about this idea of, like, most SNC coaches, you know, tend to use more what we call, you know, most of these exercises, maybe for some of them anyways, they tend to be more in the sagittal plane. And uh, what is that, yeah. by the way? No. Well, it's just, yeah, basically it's things you see in front of you. So like you said, um, that there are uh, primordial uh, movements, which I've said we do every day. Like you said, um, picking things up, throwing, twisting, all those type of things. Now we've, we've sort of come to a reductionist way of doing things where you go into a gym and 
everything you can see in the mirror. You can do squats, you can do deadlifts, you can do all these things that are just in one plane. Whereas sport, especially, isn't like that. Even sprinting, people think you're just going in a straight line, but you're, there's so many, so much involved, like you That's said. That's right. right. We're resisting twisting, for example. So yeah. there's different ways you have to, you, can, you can't build that strength in a gym. And that's the problem. It's like yeah. it's not that, and like you said, you're more uh, politically correct than I am. But I think <laughs> from, again, from 30 or 40 years of experience, by doing too much of that stuff and using that as a primary uh, conditioning uh, method, you're taken away from what is important, which is the speed of movement. Yeah. And, and you alluded, to this, you know, you, you talked about sprinting being this sort of, you know, you kind of resist this over rotation but you know sprinting versus running you know running i think even walking i think maybe the, the, the hips will kind of you know in, in the transverse plane or you know rotational plane the hips may move about five degrees right but when you're talking about sprinting I mean, 10 15 degrees if i'm not mistaken so there's a lot there is torque there right so this is this this one movement incorporates you know your jumping because sprinting is basically like you know <laughs> jumping off one leg to the other that's yeah right. it's bounding right so and then you have uh you know this idea of squatting you're kind of squatting because you're squatting down a little bit and then you're pushing off again uh and then you have this uh twisting and you also have this pushing backwards and pulling mm-hmm. forward with, with your, your arms, arms. Yeah. so it's, it's a really complex movement and to, to do that properly it takes some time i mean anybody can really sprint to a certain degree but uh, as Mark will tell you, uh, not everybody can can do it well, and uh, you know. So, Mark, let's go into this idea of um, proprioceptive sensory system. The idea is that you know, when you're working at the ideal level of sprinting, you're basically you know would be analogous to working at a T1 line or basically let's say uh, a high speed high speed digital, right? But if you do too much sizeable movements, uh, like the squats, the deadlifts, and even to a certain degree, some of the Olympic variations, right? You're kind of moving that the sensory system from high-speed digital to analog, and worse, you know, if you get injured, you you go right down to dial-up, right? And so sprinting keeps this system running or humming at high speed, okay? And so let's let's uh, chime in a little bit here. I'm gonna ask um, Mark a, a question here. Like, it, it's quite simple, you know. If you were financially uh, investing in something right you'd want a big return for a little investment right so this is this is what we call uh this matrix speed science approach and i want you to go through some of these points uh with me here so go ahead well just before you get to that i just want to take one step back about something you just said i think is super important sure is the uh proprioceptive system here and how you go from you know if if you're sprinting, you're at high speed. If you're sprinting well, you're at high speed. And trust me, I can tell you this from experience. When I'm sprinting well, you don't think about putting your foot on the ground and, or how high you're going to bring your knees or anything like that. You do when you're starting out, um, as you should, to make sure it's correct. But if you're in the right position, it's automatic. That's high speed. I've been in a situation where I've been in the gym and I've lifted super heavy weights because I thought, ah, if I get stronger, I'm going to get faster. And it was the complete opposite. Like it slows everything down. It's almost like now you can feel the power that you're actually thinking about. Okay, that foot's hitting the ground and I'm pushing off. And the worst season of my life, the strongest I was, the strongest I'd been in the gym was the worst season of my life. So it absolutely, absolutely has a, a negative effect on, on 
the rate of speed that you can propel your body uh, through space. And, and this is, Mark really touched on a, uh, a salient point here. He says, the idea that here, here, he, here he is getting stronger. And we're not, again, we're not denying that you need strength. You do. However, uh, there's a system at play that works on a much higher speed of movement. And I remember Charlie talking about this, the idea is you learn something, it becomes like a forebrain movement. And, you know, I remember Paul Cech saying something about this idea that, you know, it moves, you know, it takes about 3,000 to 5,000, you know, repetitions of that movement. And again, correct repetitions you want to move from a forebrain to a hindbrain. And then from there, again, another 3,000, 5,000 movements. And then to move to a spinal loop, which is basically like a finger in a hot stove, you know, you don't have to tell your finger to come off the hot stove. It comes off irrespective of whether or not you're awake or not, right? Um, and then finally, it gets into this idea where we, where we get into this idea of fascia. And we're going to tap into a little bit. We're going to kind of throw in a couple of terms here. And this is kind of the basis of uh, the, the 364 gear approach is basically looking into the idea of mechanotransduction, tensegrity, and posturology. And so these terms kind of relate to this tissue called fascia, which we're not going to go into right now because it's it's a it's a big kettle of fish there to get into and we're gonna lose you right down this we've already if we haven't lost you already, hopefully you know we will definitely lose you there. So um just want to make make mention of that. So getting getting idea about this this matrix speed science approach, uh one of the things uh is the identification of weaknesses and strengths. So what we're trying to do here is identify what are the blockages to your performance, right? And Mark, maybe you want to kind of allude to, you know, some of the things that maybe you've kind of worked out with some of your clients and uh, some of the blockages you've seen that kind of impede them from, you know, once you kind of lift these things or lift the parking brake, so to speak, you see them, oh my God, they're, they're moving. Well, I think, I think the most obvious one that most people see is, is just tightness. Like it, some people are in the gym and they can squat four, 500 pounds and they're so tight that they can't move. So that would be the one right off the top of my of head. Weaknesses would be um, uh, an imbalance on one side uh, to the other. Like there's so many times you'll see a client which, you know, they're, I don't know why they're squatting because as soon as, they're, soon as they uh, start the squat, they lean to one side. So there's a, a total imbalance between the, the two sides. So you'll see a lot, there's, there are many uh, examples of, different strengths and weaknesses you'll see uh but like i said like sometimes being too strong is a weakness mm, interesting that's kind of paradoxical but <laughs> that's very uh it's a very salient point there so um you know the other thing too is to find ways to overcome these weaknesses by incorporating the strengths as much as possible versus focusing on the weaknesses g g can you elaborate on that yeah okay so say you got somebody who's uh who's fast um, so, but they're tight. So you, yeah, you want to make sure they're doing all the, the drills and, and keep the flow, like relax, maybe take 20, 30% off of their running speed. That way they're still working, uh, their speed and by letting them do what they're good at and still, and, but putting a little bit of focus on, on stretching and mobility and, uh, maybe some balance work, some things you got to throw in there to. To aid, I think what people do is they don't see the end picture. They're just like, let's mm -hmm. just get strong. That's the biggest issue I have with strength and condition is they're in the gym and they're like, just just get strong because it's going to make me better. But 
not the case. Like I said, you've got to get all the little pieces of the puzzle in place in order to get that top end. But you don't want to, you don't want to stop doing that top end stuff. You've got to keep doing that and just keep chipping away and putting the pieces of the puzzle in place to make that easier. So you're almost like sort of simultaneously working all these sort of physical qualities, but at different, you know, different rates. Sometimes you're spending more time, let's say, on flexibility, but you're still keeping touch, let's say, with the speed work, but you're not doing it on gra- you're not doing it on on the on the uh, on the track, but you're doing it maybe on grass or you're doing it on uh, in the water. So it's not as because you don't have the, the the technique properly for or you know to handle that kind of surface. So you're still doing that. You're still maintaining that, but you're then you at the same time you're now adding in the flexibility work, maybe some soft tissue work with uh, you know uh, some of the different modalities that people use, uh, and that's that's when that's what I'm sort of picking up from you. Is that correct? Yeah, and to take it one step further, there was a thing that I used to do, and again, I, what I've been doing for the past thirty years since I retired is figuring out why. <laughs> like uh, there were a lot of people I trained with most. Let's say 99% of them were more talented than I were. They were faster, they were stronger, but they didn't do as well. And I'm like, why? What What are the extra little things that I did? And now in speaking with you, I, again, I, I like the way you bring these things out of my brain. It's like they're stuck in there somewhere. But hmm. is always when I was in, in school down in the States, would, I would do barefoot running after my workouts. And I would just do it at like, you know, 75, 80, maybe 85%, but it was like effortless. And it was almost like, and, you know, um, talk about the, the relationship, and we'll get into this later on, the relationship in the muscles and the feet with the rest of the body. But it mm-hmm. just felt effortless, like I was loose. I w- it was almost like a, a massage without getting a massage. It loosened everything up. So from that session, that hard session, that hard sprinting session we did on track, just by doing that, and nobody else did it for some reason. I don't know why. It just felt good to me. It just opened everything up so I recovered for the next day. It was like an automatic flush out and the next day I felt fresh again just by doing that. Yeah, I and I think really you, uh, you know, if I can coin a, coin a little phrase I learned, I can't remember from who, but uh, I think you were, over time, you were teaching your feet to see and you're teaching your eyes to feel. And I think that really transferred in this idea where now you're not relying on, on much of your sensory aspect it was more of an automated perspective that basically kind of catapulted you to faster speed. Does that kind of make sense to you? Yeah, and as you said, if you do this, you know, it takes 3,000 times to get to a certain level, another 3,000 times to get to the second. If you're doing this every day, that just sort of speeds up the, the process. whole process. Yes. Yeah. And so this is, you, you, you alluded to this idea, of like we, which I brought up earlier, of the 3,000 reps or so. And so, you know, what we're trying to do in one sense is develop the speed enough that it then turns or enhances the other qualities, right? And by addressing that last gear, I mean, if you want to use analogy of gears, speed being the last gear, you have four gears, right? And this is the four, the 360 four gear approach. You want to work that last gear. And once you start turning that one, it basically then turns all the other ones. And the other ones are smaller. So if you have big gear, speed, and then subsequent one a little smaller, and then you're going along, along to the smallest one. But they're all connected. They're all meshed with the same uh, teeth. And if you turn that big one, all the other one, that, that little one at the end, it starts turning really, really fast. Right. So, you know, this comes to the idea of, you know, you see a lot of guys, um, I mean, Instagram's probably more full of them than anything. Uh, it's all these guys doing these what we call functional movements. And again, we're not saying no, 
We're just saying, you know, is there, you know. Saying why. Why? <laughs> why, number one. And then, like, you know, like, why are you doing that? And then where does it fit in? And, you know, if you if you want to look at a curve, uh, if you can imagine a uh, on, oh, the, on, on, the, on the y-axis, you have, like, percent efficacy. On the bottom axis, you have time. And if you do an inverse bell curve, over time, all things sort of kind of fade away. You can't keep doing the same thing. So if you, you know. Again, we don't know the context in what those exercises are in, but what happens is that sometimes people who are more able-bodied, or in one sense, like they were able to do the speed work, they go back to an element, a training element, that they should, that normally, they, okay, like if they were injured or something, maybe you can see where you want to isolate something and you know work on the stabilization aspect, but then they go back to either through their own fruition or through uh, the recommendation of their trainer, uh, they go back to that movement for no apparent reason other than the fact that maybe they saw it on Instagram. And Mark, you want to... You <laughs> don't, don't get me... <laughs> you, you are, how long do you want this podcast to go? Like how... Like, so maybe, maybe <laughs> you should, we should kind of... I'll give a little synopsis of Instagram. Go so, ahead. So um, first of all, again, the question is why? And I ask this of my, my clients when they come from other trainers or they have another trainer. I'm like, what did you do this week? And they're like, oh, I did this, this. I'm like... Why? And they're like, I don't know. They get so many to do it. Now, go, there's a couple of things you brought up. First of all, about the gears. So if you can picture, again, in your mind, a big gear on one side, that's gear four, three's a little smaller, two's a little smaller, one's a little smaller. Why would you want to do one and spin it as hard as you can? Like, you'll be dead trying to turn the big gear once because you're spinning that little gear all the time. Good point. Why wouldn't you just turn the big gear once and have everything else taken care of that's what i see on instagram it's like i i always go on this principle of minimal effective dose i don't have time and nobody has time I, I mean even if pro athletes who train all day there's still you want to do the things that are effective if you're doing all the little things all those little those little cogs gears you'll be there forever doing all this why not just if you can once you get there focus on the big stuff like sprinting I, I could sprint, and I have. Uh, the faster I get, the more I lift. So why 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 bother trying to do it the other way around? Lift 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 to get faster. Yeah, and it makes it makes perfect sense because I mean if you look at uh, one of Charlie's graphs, uh, he he kind of categorized all these lifts in terms of their motor recruitment, and so he, you know sprinting would be like 100 percent, let's just say motor recruitment. A maximum squat, if I'm not mistaken, is about only 70 percent. The bench is like, you know, 50, 60%. So if you, let's say, increase your sprint time, by de facto, the amount of wattage you're doing that will bring up your strength. And I, I, I remember a client I worked with about two years ago um, that we, for one summer, it was really nice. And we just said, you know what, let's not work in the gym. Let's just head outside. So we ended up doing some, some speed work. And we weren't doing like serious speed. We were just doing, because he was started learning in uh, learning how to run properly. So we're just doing running A's. And uh, we got him up to about 55 meters uh, inter intermittent with a little bit of 10-meter breaks. Uh, but nonetheless, he was total 15 by 55 meters. He came back in about two months later, and he put 50 pounds on his deadlift. And he hadn't touched deadlift for the whole time. So this is what we're trying to get at, where is it possible to gain, to get the results that you want, let's say from an aesthetic perspective to a certain degree, without having to actually lift heavy? Mark, go ahead. I, well, I can attest to that because it, it's happened to me. <laughs> I've done it. That's how I. That's how I was. I was successful in my career, and again, it's 
once you're able to do it, if you do it correctly, uh, it's like I can do get more benefit out of a 20 or 30 minute sprint session than I can from a two hour session in the gym doing what I call shit exercises. Excuse the language. <laughs> we'll have to put explicit now in the, in this <laughs> Sorry about that. I won't do any more of those. That's it's okay. So, all right. So, the, so the, uh, the question now is, you know, one of the questions is now to the readers, and this is a bit of a plug for, uh, I guess, for what we're doing here. Do you want to, do you want to patch or do you want to fix? Because in, our, in my estimation, and again, I can't speak for everything, but I've seen a lot of people just patch it. So, give you a scenario. Guy gets injured. He goes to his practitioner. We're not going to say chiropractor, whatever it is, right? He goes there. He, that practitioner addresses that. And you know what? If it's a, if it's a tear, you do want to, exa- but the question is, why did it happen? And so we're just saying, listen, the why is because probably you've switched now from, as we mentioned earlier, Mark, we, we, you go from what, T, T1, or you're working at high speed, then you, you go all the way down to dial-up. Right. Right? So now you're driving all this sensory perception back up to the brain again. Well, according to Roger Sperry, the average person uses, just standing upright, uses about 90% of their brain. And he'd go further and say, well, if the if person's doing like a, a competitive athlete, they're probably using about, you know, 70%. If world record holder, probably around 50%. So there's 50% remaining for cognitive thought. And just being upright, you're processing, according to him, uh, what, 48 billion bits of information per second. That's just standing upright. Forget about walking. You know, walking is what we would we define as a control series of falls. Before you tip over, your, your foot, your other foot comes through. That's an automated thing. That Remember, that took about 13, you know, 13, 14 years really to kind of perfect to a certain degree. And if you didn't know how to do that, and in in, if you're in a hunter-gatherer society, you'd either be eaten or, uh, you know, you starved to death. Or you starved to death because you couldn't run after prey. So this is why we're saying it's really fundamental. And when's the last time you ask anybody right now, Mark? I mean, how many? I mean, I know you work some, work with uh, you don't work with uh, you work with general population clients. For the most part, these people. Uh, I mean, maybe they sprint for a bus, or <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> not even. Uh, but there's nothing. You know, I remember uh, riding my bike at one and I uh, at one point, and I remember getting you know chased by a case chased by dogs. That's when you sprint. <laughs> <laughs> but so we don't really have that kind of opportunity in the modern world often that we need that skill and maybe that's probably why we don't use it and then also then by you know if you don't use it you forget about it and so mark give me give me an idea of, maybe you can give me an example of some of the clients that you've worked with just the general population clients uh that you know you've you got them to at least do some some spirit, speed work and you saw a change noticeable change oh i could give you a list a bucket list all my clients sprint eventually and everybody thinks they can't uh, i tell you one in specific a lady who comes in actually there's two of them they they couldn't walk uh well they couldn't walk they couldn't jog for five minutes without their knees hurting or something hurting especially the, the, both of these were particular case were knees and one of my clients uh who again came in saw the the dock special dock for her knees uh came over to me for some training to get her to strengthen her legs and get her and get the and relieve her from her knee pain and she ended up two years later being um master canadian masters 
uh, champion for her age group. So wow. That was somebody who could who didn't even think she was like worried about not being able to get up and sit down as she aged. And she wasn't that old at the time. She was like 50. And like I said, two la- years later, uh, Canadian Masters champion. So yeah, everybody sprints. I'm gonna I'm gonna hire you, Mark, because uh, <laughs> I've had a couple of rounds of that and didn't quite work. But this is kind of bad luck. But anyways, uh, gonna have to hire you. Uh, anyway, so let's let's talk about this idea of the the four gears. Let's go through each of these gears, right? So we're gonna go through gear one, and we, which I call phase one, <clears throat> and that's the smallest gear. Okay, but sometimes here's a little interesting caveat that initially sometimes when a person comes in and so for example they're compromising gravity meanwhile they have a, they have a in a sense they have a uh, an injury or something like that so and you look at their posture and the hip is elevated bloody blah, blah blah all this kind of stuff we would con- that would be the biggest gear for them it'd be th- this phase because that's what they're in and if you were to take that person and take them right to the speed you would get problems right or and, to the squat rack for that matter yeah exactly so in this in this particular phase we want to concentrate so if we're looking at vectors, and I don't want to get too technical with uh, our readers, but uh, vectors, if you remember your grade, grade 12 or, you know, uh, physics, yeah, you know, a vector, basically one vector going this way, the other vector going this way. These are force directions. And then it's the, mid, the middle vector, which is roughly about 45 degrees. That's the resultant force. So if we fork, uh, sprinting is basically two vectors. You got the vertical and you got the horizontal. Your, your, the vertical is that your hips have to come high enough so your legs can cycle underneath you very much like a, a hand would uh, strike a bicycle wheel uh, that was being held by a person. You just want to just touch it to get it going. Uh, and so then you want to work on that vid- vertical comp- component, which also means now you have to kind of know where your feet are and, and, and know where your body is in a space. So this is where we're trying to, uh, we're still working at this dial-up phase, and we're trying to increase the proprioceptive ability of the sensory system. We're trying to improve vertical posture. So we're getting from a person who's compromising gravity, we need to get them standing upright. And this could be the largest gear, and we call this gear structural fitness. And then the smallest gear after that would be the structural performance, which we get into. And then, again, the next one after that, performance condition. And finally, the the, the last one, basically, would be the peak performance conditioning, which is basically, Mark uh, can attest to that one uh, with the gold medal. So, Just luck. (laughs) <laughs> I think it's a little more than that. But uh, anyways, uh, uh, what you want to go into gear two, Mark? Well, <coughs> sorry. The structural fitness gear is, um, <clears throat> like I said, once you've, once you've got them vertical, then you have to move into things that will... So you have to go, I think, the structural performance you referred to. Yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, I'm yeah, yeah. So that's the next one. That's the next sorry, one. Yeah, sorry. Uh, I'm getting ahead of myself here. So... You have to, yeah. You have, we're working on. I'm guessing it's like more like the, like you said, like the analog um, component when you're looking at. Uh, yes, yeah, like so you're moving. Speed. You're moving away from it, uh, from the dial-up. Right now, which I get, don't know if people remember that one, boy. Yeah, that was like you get all those weird <laughs> sounds. But anyways, uh, uh, then you get the analog, and okay. so now you're what you're doing here, Mark, is like you know, uh, I guess <clears throat> you know, is you're going from that standing to walking that control series of falls basically right. right so you're working on more proprioception like like awareness of, of um and a lot of people get this wrong like, like i said they, they start going and, and they're doing they're doing conditioning work and they haven't been able to move from the from the vertical yeah. into into um the proprioceptive 
phase or the so, analog so phase. So again, like this phase, you probably want to, you wouldn't want to do the squat again, right? You probably exactly. want to work Way on. Way too early. Way let's too just early. say work the posterior chains and Mark. Just give an idea because I mean I know a lot of people. I, I wrote a blog post uh, a while back. It's it's been a while actually. So uh, on you know if I had a buck for every time uh, somebody told me they did planks. Uh, <laughs> so Mark, give me an idea. Just to, you know we're going a little off topic here, but. I think it's really important because we are kind of related to this topic. We're talking about structural performance. We're trying to build that structure by which now you can start to perform gait. And, and uh, you know, the, the amount of, I mean, you guys did med ball work with abs. I mean, what kind of volume you guys did? Like, I mean, I, re, I remember Charlie telling me they would do, with, you know, bend anywhere between, you know, 3,000 to 4,000 throws sometimes in, in different. Yeah, well, I mean, like you said, there's so many, there's we had all day so sometimes these you know people like how how long do you work out well sometimes it was you know five six even longer hours a day going from but it's all these little components that people don't see we talk about the um tip of the iceberg you see somebody sprinting down the track but you don't see all the work all the thousands of throws in every direction overhead underhead sideways like all these little things which help your again your proprioceptive your analog system to start firing properly before you can even move into or think about lifting heavy weights or sprinting. Yeah, and we're, and we're basically moving. So for, for the technical people out there, what we're doing here is, you know, they would know, you know, the idea of the concept of force time curve. So what we're doing here is just developing the curve. We're not even moving it. We're just developing so you can generate some force because if you've been injured, you know, you can't generate force because it hurts every time you move. So the idea now here is we're trying to move this phase, this just trying to develop that curve so we have a curve, right? And so now the, the largest gear, instead of the structural fitness being large gear, the largest gear is the structural performance. But the, the next smallest gear is, is um, still the structural fitness. So you're still kind of dabbling in that anti-gravity and I might want to add, Mark, you can add to this one, uh, you know, in that, you know, what would be a really good sort of example with that, if you talk about the idea of pool conditioning, running in the water. Yeah. Well, I mean, number one, you'll always see uh, sprinters doing that when they're hurt because you can still do the movement with less, uh, with less uh, forces on the body, um, which is super important to keep up the same movement patterns. But again, without the without the force that being generated through, you know, through the body, through the foot. Right. And so th this is really a good, interesting point because we, you mentioned earlier that, you know, when we talked, I think I mentioned it, uh, that you still want to maintain those strengths. So sometimes you need to, you know, if you work with a seasoned athlete, let's say who's, who's, uh, you know, maybe fatigued or injured, you don't want to lose touch with that movement. So, you know, you, you, you know, you would stick them in the water so they could still do the running, but now you're still kind of working on the structural component of these muscles developing the midsection, the back with the metasmall work, body weight exercises, sort of thing like that. And then <clears throat> the second largest gear, kind of jumping a little bit, is that performance conditioning. So we haven't got into the, you know, the bigger movements yet. And obviously we, we, uh, we haven't got into definitely the peak performance, which is basically now for most people that might be, again, uh, a little bit too much because it just involves like how do you peak for a competition, right? So I, I'm just going to, uh, jump into gear three, unless you want to add a few more things. No, you okay. Yeah. So let's let's go into gear three. So now, or phase three. So now you basically can start to, uh, 
walk properly, run properly, and we're starting to develop now the, 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 the horizontal vector. So we're starting to move that force time curve for those technical people to the left. So they will produce force sooner. But it, and we're focusing now on the horizontal vector. Okay, so this would be like uh, kind of still um, uh, doing shorter acceleration work as opposed to the actual speed work just yet because uh, I think it was Carl Lewis who coined the phrase, you got, you know, the first 30 sets you up for the last 70. So you got to work that uh, first. Uh, and then we're basically still going to, now the, in terms of the gear size, you know, the, the first gear, the smallest, the second, uh, the first smallest gear now is going to be the structural performance. And that first one in phase one, the second, uh, is uh, going to be the second largest gear. Uh, it's the structural fitness. So we're changing kind of the size. So we're moving, moving closer to the large gear being the speed work. Mark, you want to add a few notes to that or you good with that? I think uh, I'll leave it at that for now. Don't want to get too complicated. Okay, no yeah. problem. So you want to go on to, you want to do freeze four here? So I think you could probably handle that's just your, this is your territory, man, sprinting. <laughs> <laughs> well, I get, so what I've always done with, with my athletes or what the people I work with is, unfortunately, which is a bad habit of mine, is I take things for granted. Like you said, I've been in this phase for my life. Yeah. I, since I've retired, I've sort of, I've been in what I call maintenance phase because I because I was in phase four unless I get hurt doing something stupid which is often <laughs> but I'm in this phase so now I'm like when I work with clients it's like okay this is where I need you to be this is where I this is natural for me but it's not natural for you so I gotta sort of remove myself from that um, and I think that's the biggest thing you see with strength strength and conditioning coaches is they they start too far down the chain. Without get without backing off to the ones we just you just alluded to before, yeah. so once you get to the the this phase, everything else falls into place. That's and, right. So this, so now you're not you're not adding the weight. You know the weight training is just you're kind of like just I would I would say like you you know you have a you're seasoning. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, you take the words from my mouth. That's it. it. That's it. You're yeah, just adding some it. seasoning, putting a little hot sauce, but you're not yeah. you know you you're preparing the main dish. You already prepared that, so you just put the hot sauce on yeah. there. And you and you can and you will see that. Everything else is easier. So when you're doing core work or you're, if you're doing squats or power cleans, it's much easier because you're because you're fast. And, because and, and the other thing too is, Mark, you, you know, you you would allude, you could tell me about this, but the, the amount of volume that you would do, for example, when you were sprinting, you know, after you you, you done your sprint work, I mean, you would just go in the, the weight room and do what three four sets or yeah, it's 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 again, it's to add. It's just like you're spicing it up. You don't you don't need to do all the volume work. Back in phase three, there's a greater volume of work because you don't have that ability, that capability. Right. Yes. But once you're there, you can get in. Like my favorite part of the year is when I'm, because we still go through this. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. We still go through all the phases every year after a season. But when we get to this phase, lifting is just so much fun. Phase two and three, not so much fun because that's where you have to put more, yeah. more of the volume of that type of work. That's in. right. But here, you don't need it. As a matter of fact, like I said, earlier once you get to this stage if you start putting in too much strength yes in particular yes it slows you down yes makes you more rigid too makes you more rigid it's everything yeah it, it's like work running yeah. sprinting down the track and is like work so this is this is a really good point the, this point about rigidity so i know you work with max domi right and uh so the idea is like you know for a hockey player obviously they're getting tossed and turned here and there uh if 
you know, the way you work with him right now compared to, let's say, maybe, in a, I don't know, whoever worked with him before or his own work. But, you know, if he was rigid, you know, he would probably sustain more injuries, correct? Oh, for sure. And the thing is with Max, he's like, he's already powerful. Like, he's, he's a guy in this phase. He has, he's fast. So when he goes in, we do very, very little in the gym. Very little. As a matter of fact, the first year I worked with him, we did no work in the gym. So that, that, that's all a, on the track. That's that's just that just kind of blows my mind because you see, and again, I got to be careful here. I mean, maybe Mark will be a little bit less careful, but <laughs> I got to be careful because I I don't like to step on people's toes too much because I know there's some ounce of tooth in something. Yeah, but I may not be heavy, but I love to step. <laughs> um, I I see all these, you know, and they do some. I I can't say they don't do anything, but. I always see them in the weight room. I always see these players, hockey players. And so you wonder if possibly, and again, I'm just throwing this out there and maybe Mark can chime in on this one and if through his experience, because he's worked more with players than I did. Um, my take is basically, um, I would not do that as much. I would want to maintain that kind of pliability, which I, I think, and that's a, that's a point, I think, uh, isn't that what, Tom Brady works on. I mean, <laughs> if and you can win a, a Super Bowl and and uh, be MVP of the Super Bowl at forty three, it's got to say something. Like the guy doesn't train a lot of weights, as far as I know. He maybe he does in the closet somewhere, but yeah. as far yeah. as I know, his trainer Alex. I mean, they kind of really changed a lot of his training because think of it. I mean, I mean, Mark, if you're playing as quarterback and you basically have to focus on you know what's in front of you. You're really at the mercy of your offensive line, and if you you get a blindside hit, which often they do, if you're rigid, oh, you're injured. You're injured. Yeah. But let's say you have some 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 malleability and stuff like that. Yeah. You, you might still get injured. I'm not saying you won't, but it's probably going to be less. Cause it's going to be a lot less. Yeah. And so coming back to this idea with what you do with Max, I mean, here's I, Mark, you tell me, man. It's like I mean, I would assume that a lot of the people in the hockey world. Okay, and, and we're in Canada, so, you know, this is what people do here. We play hockey. That's our, not necessarily official natural sport, but anyways, hockey's a big sport here. So I think, in my estimation, and you can, you can chime in on this one, I think their approach to weight training uh, with, for hockey... I just think get, it's pure wrong. Thank okay. you, thank you. Oh, okay, okay, there you might say You, can be, you can be politically correct. <laughs> I don't give a... I'm not even going to say it because I don't want to be... But yeah. it's... Like I, the first year I worked with Matt, I said zero time in the weight room. He, the thing is, you have to you have to you have to assess people. You have to see their strength. Like we talked about strengths and weaknesses. The kid is fast and explosive. Okay, so why would you want to put him in the gym? Slow him down. Slow him down. Like he, that's yeah. his strength. He, Charlie, Charlie had a nice saying. He says, "You don't plow a field with a Ferrari." <laughs> that's that's right? a good one. And so, in, in and you know. I shout out to his father, Ty, who you would think as a big, strong fighter, you want to get in there strong. Ty lifted very little weights. Incredible. He did a lot of med ball work. And the first thing he said to me, he said, Mark, make him throw the med ball. Interesting. Make him throw the med ball. I don't care and, what you guys do, make him throw the med ball. And isn't Ty good friends with uh, A1 M. Sundin? A little bit, yeah. We talked to Matt sometimes. Again, it's give me, the, the, the conditioning program. The, the conditioning programs in Sweden, from what Matt has told me, is track and field. Incredible. It's so, in, the, in, the off, in their off ice. It's not strength and conditioning. It's track and field. So where do we go wrong? Let me ask you. 
Like I, I, I mean, I work with a few players here and there, and I see things, and I, I have a different sort of perspective on these things. But you know, from a person who actually works with these people, tell me, give me, give me your take, man. I, I just think that uh, when people people get this idea that, and I, I get this not just from from players, but parents in particular, kids got to be bigger. Like there's a you know these you can get hit. He's got to be able to sustain a hit. It's like, you know what? If you're fast, you're not going to get hit. Gretzky wasn't, <laughs> Gretzky wasn't big. Like there's a lot of, all these kids nowadays, they're not big. But you know what? They're, they're faster. They're more athletic. They're, we've got the idea here is like, get them off the ice, put them in a the gym. That's just been yeah. in our, ingrained in our culture for years. In Europe, get them off the ice, get them running. Incredible. And it's really interesting. Maybe they do that out of just pure uh, in, intuitive knowledge. But like for me, it, it you know, I'm just looking at what I work with hockey kids. I mean, uh, you know, for me, being on a quarter inch of steel on a surface that is normally used to put in drinks, at least, at least where I came <laughs> from, uh, is not normal. And as a consequence of that, I want to train things that are more normal to the body and if i have time left over and what i've noticed uh and i think you've come to the same conclusion is that if you just work that normal phase which is sprinting which is primordial uh because skating is not primordial right uh it doesn't you know we didn't have ice i don't think the cavemen back then had ice i mean if they did they probably put in their drink i'm not sure but uh, you know we went through an ice age but uh, too much ice. So, uh, but I, I just think it's it's the raw. It's it would be an approach that I would not want to go into into the weight room too much. I would want to take them out of that re- reality. And if I were to put them in the weight room, coming back to this idea of structural fitness, I would want to make sure that that the weights are used then to enhance the structure, which then directly enhance the speed, which is now increasing that vertical component. Uh, you basically, you know, in a nutshell, making a stiffer spring. And then you have to learn how to use that spring in the fourth phase, which is now going uh, more horizontal, uh, bounding, basically. And how you coil up and uncoil, that is where the weight training really takes a backseat, correct? 100%. <laughs> I agree with you. One, I, I, Again, I've yeah. done it. And I've been at the same uh, position where it's like I now I just got to get stronger. Like I'm gonna go into it. Like the the stronger I am, the faster I am. And yeah. it's not what any people think. Oh yeah, it was just you, just genetics. No, no. It's like everybody, I, myself and and Colin Jackson, who I used to train with, we had the worst the year before the Olympic the, the ninety two Olympics. We had the worst year ever because like we were so strong. It was the strongest point. We were in the gym all the time that we could barely run. And so you got to have that balance, and you and it's got to be it's got to be reversed. So here, here's the thing here: um, <clears throat> the amount of force that you produce, and maybe I'm not sure you produce more. I would think maybe you know, on one perspective, I would think you produce more hurdling than you are sprinting, but I would think you're generating more force in that point of contact, you know, than you would ever do in any. You know, lift. Maybe the closest thing I would think in terms of force production would be, let's say, a high pull, right? I mean, kind of close to it, but still, I would say s- speed would take precedence. Not only from from two perspectives, from force production, and secondly, remember we talked about sagittal movements. 
right? So, uh, you know, it, it probably won't transfer, maybe transfer the first 10 meters. And according to Al Vermeil's uh, training uh, paradigm, the Olympic lifts kind of just help you for the first, you know, zero to five meters. They help you get out of the block, get overcome inertia. But they don't, you know, after that, they just fall off because there's not enough, you know, you're not training that horizontal perspective, correct? I, again, I could show you a whole bunch of uh, shot putters and weightlifters that used to train with us who could come out of the blocks with us. They were powerful. But like you said, three steps and you don't see them anymore. It's yeah. gone. So yeah. 100% I agree. Yeah. Okay. So let's... Uh, it's okay. Um, just give me an idea of this four-gear system if you want to sum it up in the in making it a cup of espresso, Mark. <laughs> no, that's... a Great analogy because again, it's it's like the couple of espresso, the iceberg, is in order to have a, the perfect cup of espresso, it takes a whole bunch of steps. Uh, there's you know you have to get find the beans, you have to grind the beans, you have to pack it in the in the dispenser, you have to get the water in, you have to get the pressure right, you gotta uh, you gotta put all these components together. And you get this tiny little cup of uh, perfect espresso. Sounds like your four years of, uh, you know, many years trying to get uh, a gold medal. It's more like 16 years. <laughs> all that work <laughs> all for, that, that, for that one piece of metal there. Exactly. Uh, You've got to get it all right. You got, And that's that was the problem, I think, in, in my career was, uh, you know, in, in 84, I was fourth. In 87, I was seventh. And, you know, all these years, you try all these little things you want to get all the right pieces together they're all the right uh the right components if you, if you want to put it that way and you get it wrong and then you got to go back and you got to re you got to re-get it and then you go you got to put all the you know try again and four years is a long time it's what four years is i think 1600 and something days I don't, my math maybe not that good but um to get it wrong, and then you gotta you, you gotta do it all over again. So you gotta keep keep putting the pieces of the puzzle. Sounds keep, just like espresso. He keep keep, keep he, getting. You yeah. gotta dial. You gotta find exactly. the right. It he, doesn't taste he, right. If you if you don't got the right grind, it, it just goes right through. You know, like you know, it's gotta yeah. be like a 20, 30 second pour. Like you know, it's gotta be everything. Uh, wow. Every all the all the ducks have to line up. Yes. And it takes some. I would say most Olympians, it takes more than four years. Like four, for most pro athletes, it's a year. For most Olympians, it's four to get to the basic stage and another four or eight to get to the top okay so we i think i think do you think we blow people out of the water right now with too maybe much it's a little bit too too much information but as we go along and do these yeah. we'll try to break things down and make it easier for people but that's that's why we're doing this that's why yeah. we're here is let us do the work we'll we can give you the science if you want the science yes but let us do the work and we have proven results. Yeah. All you yeah. got to do is enjoy the cup of espresso. That's all you got to do. You go to Starbucks. They do all the grinding. You just exactly. sit back. You don't want to go behind the counter just, and make it yourself. Just show me the money. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's kidding. So let's uh, let's end it here. And But we'll talk next time on uh, the idea of how we assess. We'll give you a synopsis of uh, how we do that. And uh, again, Mark and I both welcome your feedback. Uh, you know what? You can tell us we're full of crap, and we'll tell you that you're full of crap. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> At least Mark uh, will. <laughs> so, uh, tune in. Uh, tune in next. Uh, same bat channel. Same. You know, like, <laughs> you know the rules uh, there. 
So let's let's uh, let's end it here. Mark, you want to sign off a bit, or you want to say a few words before we, we end it? No, I think you know what we've kept people long enough. I just say stay tuned, and we'll get deeper and deeper into the rabbit hole, the matrix of the red pill. All right. Thanks a lot, Mark. Really appreciate your time. System.ca podcast disclaimer. We're not here to tell you that we know everything. Just We're just here to present possibilities. The information presented is by no way intended as medical advice or as a substitute for medical counseling. The information should be used in conjunction with the guidance and care of your physician. Consult your physician before bringing, beginning this program as you would with any, any, any other exercise nutrition program. If you choose not to obtain consent of your physician and or work with your physician throughout the duration of your time using the recommendation given, you are agreeing to accept full responsibility for your actions. By continuing, you recognize that despite all precautions on the part of the system, the art and science of coaching, there are risks or of injuries or illness which can occur because of your use of the aforementioned information, and you expressly assume risks and waive, relinquish, and release any claim which you have against the system, the art and science of coaching, or any of its affiliates, as a result of any future physical or illness incurred in connection with, or as a result of, the use or misuse of this information given. All rights reserved, no part of this publication may be reproduced, distributed, or transmitted in any form or by any means, including photocopy, recording, or any other electronic or mechanical methods, without the prior written permission of the system, the art and science of coaching, except in the case of brief quotations of body and critical reviews and certain other non-commercial uses permitted by copyright law. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by the System.ca, Physical Mercenaries for Hire. We are the providers of the 90-day pipeline solution to faster and better athletic performance using our exclusive 360-degree integrated approach to regeneration and conditioning shortcuts that addresses the blockages to athletic performance and wellness and teaches you the secrets to continued athletic performance. The 360 integrated approach is based on two things, 33 years of proven hands-on real-world experience working with athletes ranging from world-class, college, high school, youth, chronically injured, concussed, and top-level amateurs from over 25 different sports. This approach also involves looking at a query from a quantum perspective versus a multiple causation approach or a linear perspective. The 360 integrated approach takes into account four areas of investigation and enhancement. Physical, structural, biochemical, environmental, and psychological. If performance matters to you, we can help you improve your athletic performance by 20-30% in less time, with faster results, with faster recovery, with less effort, with less injury potential, and with less cost. Don't believe us? Then check out some of our testimonials at the system.ca backslash testimonials backslash. Call us now as space is extremely limited.